0: Everyone, to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters and connections in the ever expanding universe that revolves around Stephen King's Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo, and I'm Sean McCurr. You can email us at Two Guys Dark Tower at gmail.com. To support the show, visit us at slash Two Guys Dark Tower, and you can buy merch at store. Guys to In this episode, We'll cover The Talisman,
1: Part 1, Jack Lights Out. Let's start the show. We are introduced to Jack Sawyer, a 12-year-old whose mother has taken him to a seaside resort town in New Hampshire. She, a former B-movie actress, is sick and probably dying. Jack meets a handyman, Speedy Parker, who tells him about another world, the Territories, which is similar to our world and may hold a cure for Jack's mother. Elsewhere, Morgan Sloat, the former partner of Jack's father and his probable killer, has plans for Jack and his mother. Jay, our patrons have asked us to go back to The Beam and get back to Stephen King works that are related a little bit more closely to The Dark Tower other than some of the ones we pick in Make our own observations like, oh, look, a dark tower thinny. Mm-hmm. And Talisman is high on that list. We had somebody reach out to us and said, I have been waiting for you guys to do this book for a while. So,
0: and here we are back on the path of the beam, and I am excited to be there.
1: Yeah. So, let's talk a little bit about this book. This is a co authored book between Stephen King and Peter Straub. They met in London in 1977 and discussed working together. I guess at the time, King had moved his entire family to England, and they were planning on living there for a year, but after six months, moved back to Maine. And Straub and King didn't work on it right away, but eventually they did, and the Talisman was published on November 8th, 1984. And if you take November, which is the 11th month, and eight, which is the 8th day, and add them together, you get a 19, Jay.
0: Whoa. See, we're
1: back on the beam, man.
0: (laughs) All right. Thinneys are just flying out.
1: Yes. And there is a sequel to this book, Black House, which came out in 2001. And Straub and King had planned on doing a third book to have a Jack Sawyer trilogy.
0: Oh, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. So um, Peter Straub has just recently passed away, I think, within the last six months or so. So that is probably not going to come to fruition.
0: Unfortunately, no, I, I, I don't think he's going to write while he's dead.
1: Probably not.
0: You know, the fact that they met in London might be why I thought that Straub is English. But as you and I discovered, <laughs> or I discovered together after a brief discussion with you, they're both American authors.
1: Yes. So no, no English influence at all. No, this was also partially adapted into a comic book that came out in 2009, there were six issues published out of a planned 24. So I'm guessing it didn't sell well because you can only find those six and they're collected in a graphic novel format, mm. but um, I've got a copy of it, but I have not read it yet. I didn't want to spoil anything for myself. And in addition to that, there was a short film that was made and there has long been talk of this becoming an actual motion picture release. I think Steven Spielberg was attached to it for a really long time. Like yeah. even back in the eighties, I think he was talking about adapting the talisman into a movie. Uh, eventually he gave up the rights. And the last I heard was that the Duffer brothers who brought Us stranger things to Netflix will be adapting this soon. There was a lot of news about that in 2022. Big press releases about how the Duffer brothers are excited to work on this and how it'd be coming to Netflix. If you buy a copy of The Talisman now, there's a sticker on it that says, soon to be a Netflix series. And um, I haven't heard anything more since then. I do know that the Duffer brothers are busy working on Stranger Things. I think they just wrapped the final season and are working on post production now. So I'm guessing that's going to be their next work. I thought they already did the final season. The fifth season has been filmed but not released.
0: Oh, I, I mean, I thought the season that came out was the last season. I no, there's I that wrong.
1: There's one more season that will probably be coming out later this year, twenty twenty
0: three. Well, I have not been a fan of Stranger Things since season three and stopped watching it after that. But I will say that I'm excited that if this is going to be in anybody's hands, the Duffer brothers are a top pick.
1: It's either them or Mike Flanagan, right? Yeah. Uh, If it was Flanagan,
0: I would be even more excited. But the Duffer Brothers, I think, will do this material justice if they ever do make it. But I think it's probably going to be Netflix getting in the way rather than the Duffer Brothers.
1: Maybe. I mean, they've given them a long leash with Stranger Things if they've already gone to five seasons and you quit after three. So I'm actually almost done with season four. I'm, I'm way behind on it, but I'm watching it now and I enjoy it. I know Stranger Things is very much a Stephen King homage without being a Stephen King-related property. It's very much in that vein. So like you, I've got hopes for that. Um, Having said this, I read this book once at least 30, probably 35 years ago at this point, and I remember next to nothing about it. This was one of those books that my dad had around the house. I picked it up a couple different times and couldn't get into it, and then finally read it, and haven't really thought about it since then. I didn't read Black House when it came out, and I really don't remember anything about this book, so it's going to be like a new experience for me.
0: Like you, Sean, I read this book once, probably about the same amount of years ago, I'd say the early 90s for me, Uh, because it has been so long ago. I remember liking it a lot, but my memory about the details are also pretty vague. But what I've read so far has been a very welcome reminder, and I'm enjoying it a lot.
1: I will say I am enjoying it. I think I can also see why I had problems getting into it when I was younger. Um, I think I might have a little bit more patience now. And when you said that you probably read it around 1993, and I realized, holy shit, that was 30 years ago. I know for a a fact that I read it closer to 35 years ago, because I did not... (laughs) I, I have not read it since I graduated from high school, and that, as you just reminded me, is over 30 years ago. So great, great. Anyhow, one of the reasons I think I I had problems uh, with this book when I was younger is that this whole section, which is close to 100 pages, is really a lot of setup. There's a lot of things getting started here, a lot of table setting by King and Straub. As the pieces are put on the board, we're sort of explain the situation. But we're really, we're really not into any action yet.
0: Yeah, in fact, I would say that um, the authors are deliberately setting up a feeling of stasis. Hmm. We're keenly aware of a feeling of dead time of of the story itself waiting to begin, and this is a story that embraces the fact that it is fantasy, and in doing so, it's almost at a meta level, acknowledging its own structure of of being a fairy tale. Mm. And so we need to set up what what are things like before the story begins properly and to do that we just need a little bit of uh, I suppose downtime. We're just we're letting the engine idle for a bit before we race down the road. Because I think that once we get past the the end of this section, the story will begin in earnest and we probably won't feel like it's a sense of stasis anymore.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you put it that way, because I think that it is mimicking what's actually happening in the story, where Jack is just wandering around, doing nothing, waiting for something to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what we're doing. We're actually watching Jack walking around, doing nothing, waiting for something to happen. And even, as you said, we're getting these little details. So even though there is some table setting, we know that there is a person named Morgan Stoat who seems like he's not a great guy. and. There's a person named Speedy Parker who seems to be important and has some information to Jack but not maybe all of it and Jack's mom seems to be sick but with what exactly we don't know we can make some guesses based on context clues like the cigarettes but it is sort of everything's sort of vague and not everyone knows all the details. Jack doesn't know about his mom. Jack doesn't know about Morgan. Morgan doesn't know about Jack and 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 the mom. So like there's a lot of this going on and it's I'm like, all right, I, I I want the pieces to fall in place and I'm just going to have to trust that King and Straub will get there.
0: Yeah. I, I think what you're talking to though is that there seems to be a deliberate withholding of information just for the sake of making sure that the plot follows a certain structure. Mm. It's like King and Straub want Jack to start at zero and figure everything out for himself along the way. And that's fine. But because we're in this let's get ready to go zone for so long we can only stay there without people like deliberately withholding that information it seems like speedy knows a ton more than he lets on and he even says as much like i can only tell you what i'm allowed to tell you <laughs> well, by whom and who would know like just just tell him everything right set him up i kind of want speedy parker to show up with a backpack and and a guidebook and an explanation And, you know, a magic compass or whatever the hell else this this story needs. But instead, he just like says, do you want half a sandwich? Gotta go. And then (laughs) it's very frustrating. Some of the things are easier to accept, like Jack being 12, not getting the full lowdown on his mother's health condition. An adult might not want to just tell their 12-year-old child, by the way, I have terminal cancer. (laughs)
1: And I know your dad just died not too long ago, but yeah like,
0: so there's a little bit of that like i i i I can buy into that, but the the speedy Parker of it all is a little bit
1: harder to swallow fair enough, even within those withheld information part of the plot that we're working through, King and Straub have given us other clues though to help us with the structure of this novel. A lot of this is gonna feel familiar to us because the lead character's name is Sawyer. And with an epigraph by Mark Twain, right at the beginning, we're immediately supposed to think of Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. I'm sure of it, right? Mm -hmm. Jack lights out. Who else lights out to the territories? Huck Finn does. So I think that those are all there. There's also this structure of you're going to go on a quest and you're going to go on a quest for a specific item, an item called the talisman. It seems to be magical or mystical and you might not know everything it does but don't worry you'll figure that out later and you're gonna have to go on this road trip and you're gonna have to head west which is where all people go to go on road trips right whether you're an elf at the end of the lord of the rings and you head off to the west or whether you're uh huck finn or any other american going out to the west and then there's this whole fantasy quest narrative put everything in a backpack and and head on your way and and you'll have help along the way as much as i can give it to you so there's enough of that familiarity that we're not totally lost. We're given some sort of guideposts along the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I just wish Speedy could have
1: provided a bit more <laughs> than a glass bottle of magic flip juice. Did Speedy give him the the Rand McNally Atlas or did Jack get that himself?
0: I think maybe Speedy gave it to him.
1: Well, there you go. All
0: right. Yeah, All he it, gave it, him a map.
1: A map, a sandwich, and uh, some juice. What else do mm-hmm. you need, really? I don't know. Some, some good walking shoes, <laughs> perhaps a, a knife and a flashlight. I don't know. I assumed he was like a hobbit as well and could just walk barefooted with his hairy mm. feet, but maybe Jack doesn't have hairy hobbit feet.
0: No, I don't think so.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he only eats one breakfast, and even some days, none. Oh. Uh. Sean, I, I think that once we know that Jack is gonna get ready to start his journey, but before he begins it, I think we should talk about the relationships that he has. For example, all of the other people that you very quickly named, like his mother, his father, his uncle, his so-called uncle anyway, and then of course Speedy Parker. Like each one of these people in his life play a, a very specific role in in the setup and in putting Jack in a specific position and, and giving him motivations to begin this quest and hopefully fulfill it. Mm. Uh, could start with his mother, Lily Kavanaugh. She's interesting. She seems to be perhaps an overly permissive parent, or maybe she's just too self-absorbed with her, her terminal illness to be as present a parent as she maybe ought to be. But I tend to think that she just respects her son enough to treat him with an older person's respect. Mm. She says, you know, here's some money, go get breakfast or do whatever you're going to do. In fact, entertain yourself for the whole day. You're fine. Maybe it's not the best parenting, but I think it's respectful.
1: Yeah. I think that that's a good way of looking at it. I also thought that maybe this is the eighties and parents were just a little bit more permissive on that type of stuff. Like I don't have to worry Mm -hmm. about it, especially in a empty resort town. How much trouble can my kid get into? And there is this emphasis of the fact that she's an actress. And so she might be a little bit more self-absorbed than your regular mother just because of her career and how that Mm -hmm. ends up being a person where you are weighted on hand and foot and you have a certain expectation, whether that be uh, maybe not only from your son, but from the staff around as well. Like I'm going to be treated a certain way. And so, um, yeah, it is interesting. I think- The other piece of this that is unusual to me is Jack's relationship with his mother sort of shifts from, sometimes he's treated like an eight-year-old, sometimes he's treated like a 14 or 16-year-old, but really he's a 12-year-old. And I think that that's just not necessarily because King and Straub are having a hard time writing Jack, but more of, as you said, I think Lily is the type of parent that treats her kid in different ways at different times. And Mm. you're probably right. It might be that she is a little bit more respectful or understanding of her son to not helicopter around him. Yeah. And I'm sure a big part of that is the fact that Jack's father has died under not great circumstances. Mysterious circumstances, even. Yes, exactly. And Jack doesn't have a whole lot of memories of his father, but he does remember him as a decent guy. And in the little pieces that we get of even Lily's remembrances about how She skipped the Academy Awards to hang out with her husband and watch them on TV because she Mm -hmm. was just happy to be nominated. Like That tells you a lot about Lily. She's not as self-absorbed as a lot of actresses might be, assuming that they're going to win and show up at the ceremony, but also have a good relationship with the father in this case.
0: Um, A really interesting character who seems like we're going to be spending a lot more time with and get to know a lot more about is Jack's quote-unquote uncle, Morgan Sloat. We learn pretty quickly that Morgan's a pretty crappy person. Yeah. And it seems like Morgan's clearing house so that he can take over. And now he sees an opportunity to get rid of Jack's mom because she's ill. And as soon as that happens, maybe he can get rid of Jack too. We're we're getting the, the main villain of this story set up pretty quickly here.
1: Yeah. At first it seems like, oh, well, Morgan just wants to maneuver things so that he has access to the company and the funds so that if and when Lily dies, Jack either doesn't inherit it or has to not have controlling interest. And there seems to be some sort of plan for not only this world, but also the other world that that Morgan does. And then by the end of the chapter or the section, we get, oh no, Morgan's totally willing to kill Jack if necessary. And you're mm-hmm. like, ah, well, well that's that's great. And I think the added wrinkle to this is that Jack is also friends with Morgan Sloat's son, who's named Richard. I don't think we actually see much of him here, but it seems to be his best friend. And so that's got to be pretty awkward if your best friend's dad is maybe going to try to kill you at some point.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I would imagine that strains the relationship a little bit.
0: (laughs) I'm sure it makes Christmas dinner really
1: awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then maybe the most important character in this section of the book, because he really sort of kicks the story into gear, is Speedy Parker, who we're introduced to as a janitor handyman at the amusement park that's next to the hotel where Jack and his mother are staying. And Speedy Parker is a little bit mysterious at first, because it, at first, that's the only person that Jack can talk to, and they end up doing some... Odd jobs together, and then Speedy reveals this whole other world that exists and how Jack needs to go there to rescue his mother. And how does Speedy know this? And has he met Jack before? And maybe even saved his life once when Jack was almost kidnapped mm. back in California. Like all those things are are interesting. And Jack immediately seems to trust and appreciate Speedy as somebody who might be able to help him, sort of sight unseen not sight unseen, but sort of at face value, which yeah. is interesting.
0: Yeah. And I also really like the, the notion that Speedy is a former jazz musician. Mm. So there's a, a lyrical quality to the way he speaks and the sound of his voice and the way he moves his hands. It's um, uh, almost kind of reminds you of Scatman Crothers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course, that's who I'm picturing as this uh, this character and even though it's basically problematic for classic magic Negro trope that King and Straub are relying on here, it's um, I still think Speedy Parker is a an interesting enough character to almost make up for at least some of that. Yeah. And I really like the character that they've constructed here and in, in giving him so, so much dimension.
1: Yeah, he's not just a simple caricature at all. Mm-hmm. He is driving the story in a lot of ways. And it also calls back to the fact that Huck and Jim have that relationship as they have their adventures on the Mississippi River and Huck Finn. I know he's Sawyer and not Finn, but uh, Mm -hmm. it does seem that they're calling on Twain here. So I'm hoping Lily stays around for a while. I hope we find out what happened to Phil, really, and Morgan gets his comeuppance so that Speedy continues to help Jack. I guess that's what we'll have to watch for in the coming chapters.
0: Even if he's just there at the side of the road with another half sandwich along the way.
1: (laughs) Got to help out somehow. A a change of shoes. (laughs) So we've said we're back to the beam. That's got to mean that there's some Dark Tower thinnies, yes?
0: Absolutely. I mean, this whole book is a thinny. Let's just face it. But let's keep to the specifics, shall we?
1: Yeah, I'm sure we're going to get into it a little bit more as we go on. But like, there is literally another worlds than these, (laughs) Like there's a whole thing called the territories, which seems to be in other worlds than these. And there's a twelve year old boy who, much like Jake, Jack, going in between two worlds, uh, you know, like we'll talk about that some more. So we won't count that as a thinny this time. But before we get into the uh the more realistic thinnies, let's go on the couple of cheap ones like we always do. And that's the fact that this book <laughs> takes place in nineteen eighty one. And if you add up the digits of nineteen eighty one, you get nineteen, Jay.
0: Huzzah, we've done it. <laughs> there you go. Back on the beam. <laughs> Back on the beam, indeed. Along a similar vein, <laughs> you and I both caught this. Jack and Lily are staying in adjacent rooms or adjoining rooms in the hotel. Yep. They're in room 407 and 408. And if you ignore the floor number and you add seven and eight, and they're on the fourth floor, you get
1: 19. That's exactly right. I would not count it twice, right? Because you- as, as we've discussed earlier, the first number in a hotel room number is generally the floor. So you That's count right. that once, four, yes. seven, and eight.
0: It doesn't mean that it is the 407th room in the hotel, like no. I, for some dumb reason, think.
1: I will say that it's a little bit odd, though, because if they were adjoining rooms, which they are, because Jack can walk from his room into his mom's room, mm-hmm. chances are they would not be an even and an odd number. There yeah, would be two free. evens or two odds, so.
0: But who um, knows how they run things in New Hampshire.
1: New Hampshire, man. Speaking of other worlds than these. <laughs> but you've got the real Dark Tower thinny here, Jay, I think. I, I guess. I mean, this isn't
0: really <laughs> any more hard to, to pick up on than the other world itself, but we get a description of the talisman, Jack's goal in his quest, and Speedy describes it as, not too big, not too small. She looked just like a crystal ball. So if this talisman is a crystal ball that is like about the size of like, say, a grapefruit Mm -hmm. that could fit in your hand, it's got to be one of the wizard's rainbow, right?
1: I think that that's a great guess.
0: And if that's the case, well, that's certainly a thinny. And it's one of the orbs, just like the one that is in Wizarding Glass. Yeah. That takes over Roland's mind and implants in his
1: head his goal of the tower itself. So this can't be a coincidence. Probably not. I'm sure we'll see a bunch more thinnies as we go on through the book. And if you're reading along with us, let us know what you find.
0: All right. Is it time
1: to talk about some yucking it ups? Jay, I did not have any yucking it up moments in this part of the book. Oh. How about you? I was really only grossed out
0: by the, the detailed description of the flip juice, the the flip liquor Mm. that Speedy gives to Jack. Okay. And it is described as tasting like a dreadful mockery of all the wines that Jack had drunk before. The taste was high and sweet and rotten. The taste of dead grapes that had not lived well. As his mouth flooded with that horrible sweet purple taste, he could actually see those grapes. Dull, dusty, obese, and nasty. Crawling up a dirty stucco wall in a thick syrupy sunlight that was silent except for the stupid buzz of many flies. Mm. That description's kind of beautiful in its disgustingness. <laughs> yeah. But it really, really paints a, a picture of that awful source of terrible wine. My favorite part of that is grapes that had not lived well. Yeah. Like they just had had such a terrible, hard life that the wine made from their juice just tastes like crap. Yeah.
1: Yep. 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 All right. Well, I want to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting the show. They get access to exclusive Patreon content, such as bonus podcast episodes. We've done in recent months, both the dead zone and carry and a reminder that patrons get to vote on what we may cover in those bonus episodes. So if you would like to be a patron, visit patreon.com slash two guys dark tower to learn more. And we'd like to thank our newest patron, Nicholas B.,
0: who joined us recently at the Cotet level. A very, very generous Nicholas B. indeed. Thank you, Nicholas.
1: Yeah, that's great, Nicholas. We're glad to have you aboard and we'd love to hear what you think about the show and any ideas that you might have about the books that we discuss. So thank you very much. Sean, I think it might be time for some fun stuff. Fun stuff. Woo! yeah well, I'll start off. Sloat talks about his youth, and he says it could have been that he had been easy to underestimate a pudgy eighteen year old from Akron, graceless, overweighted with anxiety's ambitions, out of Ohio for the first time in his life as someone who lives fifteen minutes down the road from Akron. I uh, I could feel that when you go to some place that's not Akron, you might feel a a little bit out of place. And Sloat (laughs) Sloat is going to a Ivy League university, I believe, where he meets. Yeah, I think they all went to Yale. Yes, exactly. And and he seems to have some resentment towards both Jack's father and the third member of their friend group who all go off to start this agency and out in California. He feels like the odd man out because of his background and not only his background, but like the ease in which the others go around. Like you get the sense like, oh, these other guys, even though they could be, you know, they're handsome, they're at Yale, they could be pretentious, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that really gets Sloat's goat that he can't even be angry at them for being like a a typical villain in a John Hughes movie because, (laughs) because they're not, they're nice guys. And, and that even rankles him more. I will remind our folks that there is an 18-year-old from Akron who did pretty well for himself, and that's LeBron James. He was not graceless, and I don't think he was riddled with anxiety as he left Akron to go join the NBA and become one of the greatest players of all time.
0: And he's uh, you know, pretty fun to have in cameos in movies, too. There you go. What else do you have for fun stuff? Um, we get a description of how many teeth Speedy Parker has, because uh, apparently when uh, when he grins... He has perhaps a dozen teeth top and bottom together. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure if you just average that out, that six teeth on top and six teeth on the bottom, uh, there's not a lot of teeth left. Nah. And it made me think of Lloyd Henried in the stand because he had very few teeth left. And so I started wondering who has more teeth, Speedy Parker or (laughs) Lloyd Henried? And I don't have an answer to that. Listeners, if you remember how many teeth Lloyd Henried had, uh,
1: please write in. Uh, because I got to know. You didn't didn't search through the 900-page book to find that out, Jay. (laughs) I I did
0: not do that, no. (laughs) I could have perhaps searched through our notes, because we spent far too much time talking about Lloyd Henry and his teeth.
1: Uh, Rest in peace, Miguel Ferrer.
0: The late, great Miguel Ferrer.
1: All right. um, I was a little taken back by this line. A man who felt he had to put on a tie before going out to get a roast beef sandwich at Arby's had no business on the West Coast at all. And that seems to be some sort of disparagement about Arby's because I will not, I will not have that. Oh, Sean, There's nothing you're wrong. you forgetting that Arby's itself is a
0: disparagement.
1: Hey, hey, hey.
0: <laughs> I, I resemble that. <laughs> I, yeah,
1: exactly. I, I think that it's showing proper respect to put a tie on before going to get a roast beef sandwich at Arby's.
0: That's right. I don't really track
1: this comment, though.
0: If you are so put together that you would put on a tie to go to Arby's, why wouldn't you fit in on the West Coast?
1: I think because the West Coast is so casual and laid back that mm. people out there don't need to wear ties. Or if they do wear a tie, it's probably a bolo tie. <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh,
1: Fair enough. I, I liked this comment. If Sergeant Fury goes Section 8, who's going to lead the Howling Commandos? And either Straub and or more likely Stephen King is a Marvel comic fan. You might remember Sergeant Fury as the character who eventually becomes Nick Fury, Ooh. Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I will say that I do know that both of them read comics, but King is very much a comics fan.
0: And the Howling Commandos were the Agent Carter led group of folks during World War II, right?
1: Yes. And they were Sergeant Fury led during, uh, in the comic books. But yes, right. you are, you are absolutely correct. And it was a disparate group of, uh, people from across the allied nations who got together and beat up Nazis. Yeah. Which is always good. It's always good to punch Nazis. Always.
0: The last fun stuff item I wanted to call out was that at one point, Jack is thinking about how death has driven all the way up I-95 from New York, following his mother and him chasing his mother down, basically. And death is squinting out through cigarette smoke and asking him to find some bop on the car radio. and this line really reminded me of death driving a car up 95 of the road virus heads north. Mm. That's almost an exact description of basically the plot of the road virus, right? That is correct. And it's going up 95 uh, into Maine. So it's almost the same road. I thought that was a really nice little overlap.
1: Yeah. And a reminder that you can hear our coverage of the road virus on our bonus episodes on the Patreon feed. Yes, indeed. My last fun stuff is that Lily Cavanaugh, Jack's mother, uh, was nominated for an Academy Award, and it was for her role in a picture called Blaze. Blaze, eh? And if you remember, Blaze is one of Stephen King's first novels that he wrote, although it wasn't published until the early 2000s, I think, under the Richard Bachman name.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Yes. Mm. So do you think this was a callback to that as of yet unpublished book? Yeah, I bet it was. Yeah. Like this was the movie adaptation of Stephen King's book that he hadn't ever published.
1: I'm wondering. I read Blaze, but I don't remember it well enough to know if there is a character who would have had a meaty enough part to get an Academy Award nomination. I
0: think that was sort of the Of Mice and Men type story. You're right. It is. Yeah. I don't remember there would be a Lily Kavanaugh-type part in that.
1: Well, I mean, if it's like Of Mice and Men, there is one prominent female part, and the Cavie War does love death scenes. Fair enough. Fair enough. Spoiler alert for a book that is almost 100 years old and is read <laughs> by just about everyone in high school in America. Jay, I think it's time for some other worlds than these. <laughs> I'll start off because this is fresh in my mind. I just finished season two of Only Murders in the Building, and I know that that's been on Other Worlds in these before. I think you recommended it about a year ago. I did. And my wife and I just got around to it, and we watched the first two seasons over the last month. Um, It's rare that she and I watch a scripted show together, so it was good to watch this. I highly recommend it. Very amusing. We've both cut ourselves laughing out loud at the antics of Martin Short and Steve Martin and Selena Gomez and it's it's been it's been great and i'm looking forward to the third season that i think is coming out maybe later this year
0: i think you're right about that i got to say I, I think especially in the first season as podcasters that we are yes that show cut really close to the bone so many times there were so many times when they had like, oh, our dedicated fans, and there were three people yeah and, and or or there was uh the podcast that just they talked about like gardening or something like that, and they had ten thousand <laughs> yeah. followers and and like, how do you do it? What is it are we like what what are we missing? What's the secret sauce and uh I felt seen by that show,
1: yes. I also liked how the fact that they never actually show them actually working on the podcast, that nope. it just somehow they have time for all these adventures. And then the podcast miraculously gets put together, edited, and dropped on the podcast feed for their loyal listeners. Yeah. Without any of that work actually being shown. Which,
0: and at least three quarters of the audio that they record is using their, <laughs> their iPhones. Yeah. Apparently it sounds okay. What about
1: you, Jay? I, um, believe it or not, I'm watching Picard season three. Jay, have you talked about Picard previously on Other Worlds in these? I think I have. I think
0: I may have mentioned that I hate-watched Picard (laughs) Season 1, and I rage-watched Picard Season 2. What
1: are your thoughts on Picard Season 3,
0: Jay? Compared to the extraordinarily (laughs) low bar of Seasons 1 and 2, Picard Season 3 is pleasantly okay.
1: (laughs) I, I think I saw that on the poster. Jay Russo of Two Guys to Dark Tower Cave says Picard Season 3 is pleasantly okay. I mean, they've got to be running that commercial on Paramount Plus, don't they?
0: <laughs> I'm just getting all sorts of endorsement money on that. The show is finally doing, I guess, enough fan servicey stuff. And it's got decent enough writing and acting that I don't hate it. But it's still it still suffers a little bit from the sins of the first two seasons. There, there is enough continuity that they're preserving. They're not just like jettisoning it like, ah, the stuff that happened in those seasons didn't happen. They, they can't really do that. But they're bringing back a handful of the next generation cast. They're, they have a somewhat interesting storyline that isn't terribly original, but it's so far so good. And it definitely feels like it is worth my time much more than the first two seasons. And since this is going to be the last one, I hope it wraps up in at least a somewhat satisfying way.
1: Fair enough. All right. That's all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our social media are available in the show notes. Check out our merch at to store.twoguystothedarktowercame.com. If you like the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash twoguysdarktower. Next episode, join us as we cover The Talisman, part two, The Road of Trials, chapter six through 13. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McGurr. Thanks for listening. I saw a trailer for the last season of Barry.
0: Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Yes. Is he going to have to break out of prison to help all of the people he hurt put right what once went
1: wrong? Is he going to become the new quantum leap? <laughs> <laughs>